20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's happening, Packer fans? Welcome into an all-new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast, along with the Acme Packing Company. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. And of course, this gentleman to my left, right, depending on what way you're looking at it, is the one and only Justice Mosqueda. Of course, you can find him on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Justice, it was Joe Barry Day in Packerland uh, for all the wrong reasons. But uh, how was your Monday and how did you celebrate uh, waiting things out to see what was going to happen? I've never seen like the whole beat and like Packers fans and everyone else just like counting down the minutes to a press conference before. Yep. Uh, that was weird. Um, <laughs> celebrate. I don't, I don't think I celebrated at all. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, he's Jabari kept his job and it by the sounds of it. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but the way Matt talked about it, made it seem like Joe Barry can play his way into still being the DC in 2024, which seems pretty crazy to me. Nothing would surprise me anymore. I felt like for the first time, like Matt did not shut things down even after like immediately after the game, even today, you know, he said, uh, you know, what, if it would be in the best interest of the team, he would have made the decision or whatever, it still felt to me like there was some at least contemplation or at least he took the night to think, I, I don't know what it was. That was still my read on it. My, my gut tells me that this is going to be three more weeks. And I guess maybe if those three weeks, but like, can you learn anything from Carolina, Minnesota with their current quarterback situation and Chicago in the final three games? Like if that's the body of work that you are basing it off of, even I don't care if they go shut out, shut out, shut out. Like if they go three straight shutouts, make the playoffs, we'll see what happens. Like who knows? But if even if that's the situation, like I've learned more over the past two years of Joe Barry plus all of this season so far than I need to know from those three games remaining off of three poor offensive opponents. My, my gut tells me this is the final ride, these final three games, and then they'll make a change from there. But like I said, nothing would surprise me at this point. The interesting thing is it's like not about learning or changing or any like the the way Matt framed it was you know so he said multiple times that and he didn't mention this today but he's mentioned multiple times like this is the defense he wants to run at the NFL level right um yep. and Joe Barry is just a, a a vessel for him wanting or him putting that defense on the field and then he's like, the, the players are just messing up. He's like, the players aren't lined up right. And he seems to think that, you know, the the alignment and the miscommunication that he calls it um, is not a reflection of Joe Barry. So does that just solely fall onto the players or does that fall onto the assistant coaches? Like you would think that at the very least, like the assistant coaches are falling on that sword then, right? You would think. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. I think a lot of things can swing around in the last three weeks of the season, which, again, isn't it, – it's not as surprising as you'd think. Like three games is a lot in terms of just the season yep. in general. I mean, 
in college. There's guys in college football that get fired three weeks of the season now. Like, <laughs> so, sure. um, keep tabs on what happens and what is said, I guess is the lesson here. Let me start by asking you this. Do you buy Matt LaFleur's argument that this was more communication or miscommunication and misalignment and not scheme slash play calling? Well, he said that, you know, they wanted those ones back, right? Um, on like second and short and stuff like that. What guys are all walked back. Um, uh, no, that's where I would disagree. Um, same. The linebackers really got exposed in this game, especially in coverage. And basically what happened, we, we talked about this in the repack after the game, but um little math lesson, right? If you're going to be in too high, oh, well, first, 11 players on the field, okay? You're going to be in too high. We're at nine now, right? Yeah. Four guys on the line of scrimmage rushing the passer. We're at five. Well, if they go empty, you're a hat on a hat, right? And if you're not going to be head up on a guy and you're going to be playing zones, that's where a lot of this stuff starts becoming a problem. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be empty, right? Like Rashad White was getting some of these looks out of the backfield when they were getting yep. spread formations otherwise, right? So that's like functionally an empty look because you're still, you know, you have a two-way go on that that linebacker. Um, they really needed better answers for when you get spread out. Right. And that's something that, um, again, was an issue against the Raiders. Remember um, yep. that Vontae Adams play like that, that the whole issue with that was the width of the formation and the NFL was getting more and more condensed and stuff like that. But I know they've said things like, Hey man, we can't just like check every play, you know, um, based off of what other teams do, but getting into a situation where you're just predicting what other teams are going to line up in, I think is even more dangerous than checking out of plays. I mean, if you, especially these, these quarter teams, right. Um, if you look at the call level, I'm really well-versed in like what those teams do, which is more like match quarter stuff. They're che- they have, they have like three checks every play where they're like, Hey, this is, you know, we're, we called this, but we can get into any of these three looks depending on like, is there a bunch? Okay. Then we need to have an answer for that. Like it doesn't seem like there's a, we have an answer for that to any of these problems. And, um, you know, they, they try to get out of it a little bit. They started running a little bit of man. Um, but that's when Corey Ballantyne ended up coming into the game. First play ends up drawing a DPI and it's like, okay, well that didn't work either. Right. They just get out of it. Um, so I, I do think that scheme is more of the issue than than Matt is leading on. But again, like that, that's what Matt wants to run. That's that's I don't know. When we get down to eventually, if uh, there are a list of candidates, um, it would be interesting to see like how many of these guys are like just another vessel for for Matt to run this defense, or if we're going to do something differently because they're basically two camps right now, right? There's the there's the match quarters camp, or not match quarters, the, the quarters camp, right? Um, and they're not doing very good outside of Fangio. Nope. Um, and then everyone else seems to be going back to that Rex Ryan tree, 
right? Where they're like, hey, man, these quarterbacks are too good. We got to blitz the hell out of them. And, like, you're going to allow some big plays, but we got to put some pressure on these guys. Um, So it'll be interesting to see kind of what direction he ends up taking if, you know, the D.C. job does end up becoming open. There's so much that I want to get to with all of this. Let's let's play devil's advocate for a second. Okay. Let's say Matt's right. Let's say Joe's a genius, and I know that's not exactly what Matt's saying, but let's say Joe is not actually to blame on this. I guess my first question I want to go over is who is, and you kind of brought this up as like, is this the position coaches falling on the sword? Is it that they cannot get these guys to run the system? But by the way, three years in the system now, three years, this year three in the system, right? position coaches that can't get them. Is this drafting the wrong players that cannot communicate right on the field that they just cannot get this stuff right? Um, is this just poor execution, like the talents there, but they are just not executing. Like what, if, if Matt's right, again, playing devil's advocate here, who, who then is to blame? Is it Goody? Is it the players, coaches? What, where is it at? My first reaction is it has to be position coaches, right? I mean, it's your job. And, and there are certain things that like, yes, Joe Barry is the defensive coordinator, but like everything doesn't fall on him, right? Like he's yep. not, he's too busy to like handle uh, rotations of pass rushers, yep. for example, right? Like there's just not enough time in between plays to be able to communicate all that stuff, right? So like, yeah, some like maybe that does fall onto the outside linebackers coach or defensive line coach, whoever it is, right? Um, I would think I would think alignment certainly falls under like <laughs> you know the list of priorities for for these coaches. So yeah, I mean, I would go assistant coaches first, and then I I don't know. I mean, even the players' reactions seem to be a little weird, like. I think it was Quay, and they asked him, you know, like if, uh, if this was in the locker room before the presser today. Yep. Um, and they asked him, like, hey, you know, did Joe Barry run the meeting this morning? And he was like, yeah, but I'm not going to get into all that. Like, uh, it feels like everyone knows that there's a narrative out there, right? And people are chirping. I mean, if it's not David Bakhtiari's brother, it's Christian Watson's dad, right? Like, it's hard to stay focused in that type of scenario. Um, I don't know if like trading Rasul did anything for the defense. Like I know he was. Didn't like, help. Yeah, I know. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that could be going on. I would I would expect that if Barry does come back, that there would at least be changes at the positional coach level. I don't even like the phrase if Barry does come back. And I'm 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 not even liking that phrase of of uh thought at this point. Um where else do I want to go with this? There's so many different aspects of this. I I do think that there is a lot wrong in totality with the defense. I don't think it is just Joe Barry. I don't think it's as clean as hey, new defensive coordinator, everything's fixed. And I think we've seen that enough no. going from Capers to Petten, Petten to Barry. I think we've seen it on the special team side, going to Mo Drayton and Drayton to even Rich Basashia, highest paid special teams coordinator. And he gets, it just, it doesn't get fixed overnight. And Mike Daniels has made the comments of like, it just needs a different attitude and intensity. I think the type of players that they get for this defense, I want to see a mixture of like a-holes and I want to see a mixture of um just instincts on defense. I don't, 
and whether that involves like extra community, you know, communication and smarts, like I did just, everything feels off. And I've said, even when they were ninth in the league in points, it still didn't pass the eye test. And it still felt like a half-life the way that they were playing defense of like, A, this is going to catch up with you eventually. And B, all of the elongated drives, all of the third down conversions on easy third and fours and those sort of things. It just, it saps the life out of you. And it felt like that from a fan standpoint, from a player standpoint, like you could see them at times. I will say, I didn't, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this as well. Obviously feel free to comment on anything I just said, but um, I did not feel like the defense ever quit in this game. I did feel maybe that last drive I'll, I'll maybe put a small caveat on that, but overall I didn't feel like the defense quit itself. It still felt like they were going out and trying to run the stuff. It just was not working. Yeah, no, I agree. And it felt weird from the first drive on the first drive was the Mike Evans touchdown, right? No, they scored a field goal in the first, and they oh, went down and got the seven three lead, and then Tampa immediately went down. I think that was the Mike Evans touchdown to take the lead right back. Starting that drive, just weird vibes in general. I will say, um, couple couple points here. So, like the the mentality of the players thing too, right? Like it doesn't help that some of these guys who are vocal become end up becoming like pariahs, right? Yeah. Like Jair's a weird dude but he talks a lot and now he's not playing games and the immediately the, the immediate reaction from everything around him is, Oh, he doesn't want to play in green Bay anymore. He wants out. He wants to be traded. He's played his last game. He's doing like all that stuff. Right. Um, Zedarius Smith is probably another guy who falls under yeah. like that, that line of thinking where it's like, okay, you know, he has an edge to him. Things don't go right. Well, sayonara. See you later. It's like he's still a pretty good pass rusher you know, <laughs> yeah. like to this day. Um, so that probably doesn't help. Um, the other thing I want to mention with the defensive coordinator job is, you know, you mentioned it too, where you're like, uh, you know, hire a new DC, everything gets fixed. There's a chance this doesn't go right. Yeah. Right. Like, um, if you just think about like the hiring process, like in the NFL and like talking to agents and stuff, like this isn't going to be a super highly sought after job, right? If you think about it from a couple perspectives, first of all, you're going to get a lot of raw talent. Um, two, they don't really have cap space to work with. So you're not going to be able to get this thing turned around immediately in a year and bring in all your guys and stuff like that. Yeah. Then from a job security standpoint, one, if Matt does fire Joe Barry, it's because he himself is going to end up feeling the pressure. He clearly does not want to get rid of Joe Barry, right? Um, If they're hiring a new defensive coordinator, it's probably because they're coming off of back-to-back sub-500 seasons, right? And when you compare that to other teams like uh, what jobs have already changed up, like Chargers, Raiders, stuff like that, right? Like, when they hire new coaching staffs, they're going to get a three-year runway. And that's before we ever talk about Green Bay, Wisconsin, which like, I know that sounds like a dream job to me and you and stuff like that. But we just saw Lincoln Riley, who basically had, you know, at the college level, he was a guy who got like an automatic playoff bid every single season at Oklahoma. And he left because he didn't want to hang out in Norman, Oklahoma anymore. He wanted to go to Los Angeles. Right. And we're talking about having to recruit against LA Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. Like that's a, 
a real thing. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can do because again, yeah, it's not, I mean, we're not poaching anyone. If you have a DC job in the NFL, we're not stealing you from that job. Yep. Um, so I do wonder like what kind of candidates are interested in the job and, and who the Packers are interested in. I mean, like an actual list, not just like Google, like NFL coordinators, like 2024, like that, that's not what I'm looking like actually like who they would go after. Um, I try to figure this out myself today. Um, that's what I've been doing for most of the day calling college football people who, by the way, college football is a mess right now. I'm trying to figure out like what DCs would end up jumping at an opportunity for an NFL job. What I ended up getting told is like three names, like obviously Leonard, right? Yep. Every Everyone mentioned Leonard, number one, and is like, he, he might actually take that job. I didn't realize he has like an offset for um, Wisconsin. Yeah, an offset for Wisconsin where if he takes another college job, he ba- like the the money cancels out. He'd basically be working for free in 2024, not moving forward, but just 2024. Um uh, so that's interesting. Um let me ask you this. Do you think do you think Matt would offer Jim the job again after he turned them down last time reportedly? I think so cuz I think Matt would understand. I mean, Matt understands the whole uh, like coaching tree climber thing. Like, I mean, he's let guys, I mean, he wanted to hire Getsy as offensive coordinator and Getsy ended up getting play calling duty. So he was like, yeah, go, go do that. That's better for your Yeah, career. That's fair. Right? So Good answer. I think he gets that. Um, D'Anthony Lynn. Um, he's another guy who's interesting. He just took the job as the defensive coordinator at USC um, okay. from U- from UCLA. Um he he's an interesting candidate, but he's like a, a riser. He's like in his early thirties. Um, he he might be interested in that. He's he's the son of um, Lynn, the the former Chargers. Chargers coach. coach. Yep. Yep. Um, and then the other guy is possibly Dave Aranda, who is feeling the heat at Baylor right now. Um, Aranda is really interesting. As a college coach, he's actually a head coach. Um, yep. So it'd be an interesting move. Um, they would probably have to pay him a lot, but I think he's figured out that he's not an NFL or a college football head coach, especially in this era of NIL and all that. So he's almost like David Shaw ish in terms of his demeanor, um, which is like maybe not what Packers fans want to hear. But everyone who gets in a room with him is like, he's a genius. Um, he should be in the NFL. There's his fit in college football doesn't really make sense when so much of it is, you know, rah, rah, recruiting, all that stuff. Like this guy just needs to like, uh, be a nerd basically. Um, so those are, those are three names I got early on and was told like, keep an eye on them. Two of them, I'm sure Packer fans would love just based on their, you know, Wisconsin Badger ties, obviously with Jim Leonard and, and Aranda, um, both being former Badger defensive. Oh, yeah, I forgot Aranda a, was a former Badger, yeah. so I don't need to tell you guys about him. No, no, and people loved him in Wisconsin, too. Obviously, they loved Jim Leonard taking over for him as well, so it wasn't like this huge thing when he left. But though, I, I think the the popular opinion on both of those in Wisconsin are extremely high. I actually forgot about Aranda and I'm very, very intrigued by that name. Now that you mention it, the Jim Leonard thing that just threw me is like, 
it, it just felt like there was a weird something between the whole situation with Leonard and LaFleur when they like kind of offered, but like it was just never confirmed offered by the team, which I guess you can't do anyway. I don't know. It just, it felt a little off. I, I think that might be a, like, we don't want it on record that, that we offered and turned us down. Team. Yeah. yeah. Like, we want to be able to say that we, we got our guy, we got our number one guy. The other thing too, um, one actual name, at least at the NFL level, that makes a little bit of sense is Gio Evero. Um, yep. Evero was a guy who made it through the interview process, all that stuff. That's That would be probably closer to, you know, uh, one of those conduits that Matt would be using to, to run the defense that he wanted to run, right, at the NFL level. Um, Evero was hired by the Carolina Panthers, who are obviously going through – uh, some stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, um, seriously. They they basically spent the most amount of money in NFL history on like the assistant coaches pool. Um, so not head coach, but like everyone underneath the head coach. What I don't know right now is if they're going to keep the defensive staff intact or if they're just firing the people around Bryce Young. Um, right now they're just firing the people around Bryce Young, but they haven't made a new hire at head coach. Right. So yeah. I don't know if Evero's going to be a free agent or not. Um, if he does go on the market, he would be an interesting guy. But you would think Evero is one of these guys who has options and would look at Green Bay and say, like, dude, I just came off of, you know, a shaky job security type of situation. And, you know, why would I go? sign with the team that's been sub 500 for two years. Like that's going to be a thing that's working against green Bay. Um, when they passed them up for both Jim Leonard and Joe Barry, when he was last interviewing for defensive coordinator jobs, right. Or I guess two times exactly. ago. Exactly. So it, it's not that the Packers can't make a good hire. They can make a good hire. I mean, there's gotta be guys who can call an NFL defense out there, right? Like yep. history just shows us that I just would be pretty surprised if they want, you know, quote unquote, like won the press conference, um, hiring a, an, an NFL dude. Um, if if they do win the press conference, it's because they ended up getting someone from college football who is like, get me the hell out of here. Right. Like, there's, yeah. there, and that sentiment is huge. Um, cannot be understated. Like, there's a lot of people in college football right now who look at it and they're like, dude, this ship is sinking. I don't have any free time. I mean, think about like them right now, right? Um, this is December. You're supposed to be focused on traditionally. You're supposed to be focused on recruiting. You're supposed to be focused on your bowl game, all that stuff. And then courts rule that not only can players transfer freely, but they can transfer multiple times freely. So now you're having to, having to re-recruit even players you weren't expecting to re-recruit to your own roster Transfer portal's never been bigger than it is right now. Um, the prices of players are exploding. I've been told, again, because I've been talking to college football people for, you know, a lot of time today. Uh, yep. I've been told, like, the the prevailing thought is, like, the at the tippy top of the sport, the salary pool for players, which is, like, again, like, we're, it's not supposed to be, you know, NIL is not supposed to be, uh, directed by, you know, the coaching staff and stuff, but magically, you know, it ends up working um, is around like $10 million per year. And we're talking about Alabama, Georgia, like big, 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 big teams, yep. Ohio State, stuff like that. Um, 
there's one team in the SEC right now who's flipping their roster like crazy, and they're going to end up spending $5 million just on portal guys this season. Like the price is going up and up and up, and you're just going to hear coaches and press conferences say over and over again, like, hey, we need to be spending more money. Like we need to be fundraising more and stuff. And I don't know how sustainable that is for a lot of these schools. Like some of these schools just aren't going to compete at that level. And it's not like they're going to drop down a division or anything like that. It's just going to be like, Hey, we're, this isn't a good job anymore. Like there's promotion and relegation for coaches and players, but there's not for teams and fundraising is going to be a bigger and bigger part of this thing. And these guys are trying to have Christmas break and now they're having to deal with a portal 24 seven. Like it, it stinks. And there's no real way that these coaches think that it's going to change because at the end of the day, kids have to be enrolled first week of January into school. So like this schedule is never going to get not hectic. So I think there's, Guys in college football right now who look at the NFL and are like, please get me into that work-life balance, which goes to tell you how terrible the work-life balance is in college football. It's because, not great in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not good in the NFL. So, um, yeah, I guess keep an eye out for that. Hey, friends. I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin-Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. That was until I found game time. Game time is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. GameTime is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using GameTime, stress-free. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download GameTime today, last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. 
So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Let me, uh, one more on potential defensive coordinators, I guess, because I know a lot of people, I think myself included are, and, and you mentioned it perfectly. It seems that Matt LaFleur really, for whatever reason, likes this style of defense and this kind of system, but does letting go of a Joe Barry just to get another person in there that runs the same sort of system, whether it be Evero, whether it be uh, Staley, whether it be one of those sort of guys, does that, does that move the needle for you? Or in your mind, does it need to be a complete teardown? Evero, maybe, because he's had success elsewhere. Um, Staley, I mean, Joe Barry was his linebackers coach in AHC for the Rams, right? And that run defense wasn't good in Los Angeles um, in terms of, you know, demeanor, if we're going to go in that direction. Like, I don't think Staley brings you an edge that Barry didn't have, right? Um Man, I don't think I could think of a more disappointing hire than Staley would be. Um, so, yeah, Staley's not moving the needle for me. Evero, maybe. But, again, I don't know if he's going to become available. And then if he does become available, I don't know how he signs in Green Bay. Um, I mean, that's that's the other weird thing, too, right? It's like – We could be in a situation where we're still clear, clean, cleaning house, uh, not after this season, but after next season, right? So how much money are we going to spend at the defensive coordinator position? Like, that's the difference between, like, when they brought Dom Capers in. Dom Capers was easily the highest paid defensive coordinator in NFL history, right? Yeah. He's coming off of being the D.C. for Nick Saban in Miami and stuff like that. Um, can you dish out that much money? at defensive coordinator, on defensive assistance and stuff like that when Matt's been sub-500 back-to-back seasons. Because if he's sub-500 three straight seasons, you're probably getting rid of him, right? Like, ju- that's just how the NFL works. So I think it just depends on how much leeway they're giving the – we're going to tear this – not tear it down, but we're going to we're gonna rebuild this thing a little bit, and you're going to get a little bit of leeway from that. If, if they believe that, then maybe it's something different. But I, I would have to assume – that there are those in Green Bay in higher positions that are probably also not super fond of the current defensive system in Green Bay and are maybe willing to put a little bit more money into it in order to see that improve. But I don't know those are those are interesting discussions. And it feels like short of someone telling Matt, like, you have to fire Joe or we're going to fire you, that he doesn't want to make that move. Right. And that's a pretty strong ultimatum. And even if you do fire Joe at that point, right, like what kind of job security do you do you think you're hiring into when you got to fill up that vacancy? Right. Like it's just not a good job. It's not a good time in the Packers developmental curve and like where everyone's job security sits right now to be hiring a defensive coordinator and they're going to have to do it. Um you know, if, if this thing doesn't pan out in the next couple of weeks. And I think that's one reason why Matt is like, hey, let's pump the brakes a little bit because I don't know what's going to be out there. Right. I'm sure he's worried about that, too. Yeah, I, I don't think they want another scenario where 
they let go of the coordinator and then end up in a situation where they have to settle for another Joe Barry. And yeah. I, I do think the thing. And then Mike petting him because you already have all this money that you spent on the defensive staff and he ends up being a holdover for the next guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely not what you want. And I, I do wonder if this comes down to, are there new rules? Correct me if I'm wrong. Are there any new rules with hiring coordinators now and stuff like that? Like until the playoffs are over, did they pass those yet? Or is that just conjecture? I'd have to look at it. Um, But I wonder if they're like eliminated and they don't make the playoffs, if that gives them the impetus of like, they're on equal footing with every team to go find a defensive coordinator. Whereas with Barry, if memory serves they're they're, there, they obviously were, that was what 20 after 2020. Yeah, yeah, after 2020 that they make the defensive coordinator change and um, they go to the NFC Championship that last year. And obviously a lot of the other coaching staffs had already hired a lot of their guys and they lost out on some possibilities and then ended up having to settle. I do wonder if they don't make the playoffs that that gives them a little bit more leeway and opportunity to go and fish for everyone that's potentially available rather than having this condensed group of candidates that you have to choose between. That could be a factor. Um the whole thing is going to be very, very interesting. I'm, I'm still going to go on record. I think, I think these are the last three games of the the Joe Barry era, and then I do think they ultimately make a change. What change that is, and how aggressive is it? A same sort of system with Brandon Staley or Evero or one of those guys, or is it a whole scale? We're going to bring in a new philosophy. I think that's going to be the the bigger change. Um, but I'm, I'm very, very intrigued. All this. One other question I want to ask you. In your opinion, I know a lot of the online chatter today went immediately from fire Joe Barry to, oh, Joe Barry stain, fire Matt LaFleur too. Um, I, I'm, I a million percent agree with your head shake. Uh, for those that are listening to this on an audio podcast, uh, Justice shook his head aggressively, and I'm a million percent in agreement with that. My question is not, is is Matt's job in the line? Because I don't think there's, I think there's a 0.0% chance of that. But I'm more questioning, does this decision to keep Joe right now does this add any additional pressure to him or does this, even if it's just in the court of public opinion? Yeah, I think so. Um, in terms of, yeah, the pressure, I mean, he doesn't want to fire him, right? So if he does fire him, he gets undermined, right? I mean, that's what it boils down to in like the simplest terms. So, yeah, I mean, the expectations going into next year are going to be really interesting to me if they don't just like completely bowl out. Um, the last three weeks of the season because we've been riding this roller coaster ride, right? Um, yep. But at the end of the day, how are we going to remember it? Um, that's what's really interesting. And again, like as dumb as it may seem, we're you know we're getting 17 data points and we're putting so much weight on those last three, right? Like that's the reality in this sport, man. Like there's just not that many games, so how you finish is going to be a a huge deal. Um, yeah, I 100 percent agree with that whole idea of like, does this impact him moving forward? Yeah. I mean, again, if they go sub 500 this season and then next season, like go look at NFL history. Like there's not a lot of guys this deep into their tenure um, who go sub 500 three straight years and they end up keeping their job. Like I I saw a thing of, you know, coaches, um, you know, their tenure in the NFL and all that stuff. Like Matt's already up there. Yeah. Right. Like Matt's like top eight right now in terms of like how long he's actually been able to hold his job down. Um, it's a thing. It's really hard to keep these jobs. Right. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. 
All right, last defensive question that I promise we're moving on. Is there anything that this defense can do in three remaining weeks other than play really bad offenses that can help them? Is this, is this, is there anything that you've noticed that it's like, all right, like this is okay or this is fixable? Because right now I'm having I'm having a hard time looking at anything and being like, hey, this is trending in the right direction. They've they've given up the 200 yard rushing games on numerous occasions. Tommy DeVito ran all over them. They couldn't get a sack on him. They obviously allow Baker Mayfield to look like an MVP on Sunday. It just, it doesn't feel like there's anything that this defense can point to right now and say, Hey, we got at least this nailed down. It just feels like everything is in flux and disjointed and nothing feels great at the moment. Get guys lined up, right. Have more checks based off of what formations you're getting. Like outside of that, I don't really think so. Um, one of the tough things, too, is like this can't be really solved in the draft. Um, I just wrote up like Mel Kuyper's top 25, which, you know, you can do whatever with what you think of Mel Kuyper, but generally it falls along the lines of like what the consensus draft board thinks, too. I think the weakness of this team, and we've talked about it since psh, the summer, right, is that spine of the defense. And when you look at those prospects, for a lot of different reasons, college football isn't developing those guys. Um, there are zero inside linebackers who are in the top 25. There are zero safeties who are in the top 25. There is one interior defensive lineman in the top 25. Um, just not a position that is being developed at the college at the college level, and that's where the Packers need the most help. Now, obviously, the Packers could also use a running back. There are zero of those guys at the top of the draft. Um, we'll see if – Henderson actually ends up declaring if he doesn't, that'd be a pretty big deal. Um, outside of that, like you're getting better at tackle. How much does that change? How much does that change this team if, if they get better at left tackle? I don't, I don't know. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting off season for the Packers um, to see how they self-diagnose themselves and try to get better. And I want to go back to a point that you made about Green Bay maybe not being a, a great def, like destination for these defensive coordinators. You mentioned, you know, just kind of the team being in flux, where Matt Lafleur is in his tenure, the city of Green Bay, like all of it. When we talk about like open head coaching positions, immediately everyone talks about the Chargers because they've got Justin Herbert. Like that is a potential yeah. dream position because they have him. You're a defensive coordinator, and you look at the Packers' defense. You do have a Rashawn Gary. But outside of that, Kenny's in an interesting spot where with he's at with his contract and his career, you don't know what's going to happen with Devondre, and you're probably not hoping at this point that that's something that goes on for a long extended period of time. Preston, you're not sure what's going to happen with. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got a bunch of unproven players throughout the course of the defense. You don't know what's going on with Jair Alexander because that, there's a chance that that thing's not wholly fledged out by the time they hire a defensive coordinator kind of have to wait and see there your safety position is completely barren you're going to only get a few looks at eric stokes like i know that there's this i still idea of like eight first round picks eight first round picks it's like the majority of them either aren't playing or aren't playing like first round picks and rashawn gary kenny clark um probably the exceptions right now those are they're still playing good football i just there's a lot that's going to need to get cleaned up and if, if you're a defensive coordinator you look at this and you're like Man, like you said, a lot of the positions of need are not great in this draft. They're, they can't go out and spend. There's a lot of question marks all over the roster. It's just like, ugh, it's, it's not it's not ideal. 
and you might need a performing year one just for the head coach to keep his job. Right. <laughs> and that's, yeah, again, if, if you're looking at this and you're like, um, the Packers should just go give Jim Schwartz, you know, a blank check and bring him to green. Like you're going to be so disappointed. Yeah. Um, and again, this is not to say that they can't make a good hire, but like in terms of like the big flashy name, like I don't think it's going to happen from at least an NFL guy. Um, maybe you can get a big flashy name from the college level. And like Jim Leonard, obviously is the biggest one um, that people are going to attach themselves to and stuff like that. But that's basically it. Um, in my opinion, in terms of like big flashy names, it would have to come from the college level. So please like, for for your own sake, like don't set expectations that high set, in terms of name brand recognition as a DC hire. I do have great news for you, Justice. The current defensive coordinator is Joe Barry, so the bar is <laughs> is not super high to begin with. There is some good news in all of this. Um, really quick uh, before we get out of here, we obviously spent the entirety of the time talking about the defense. I think understandably so today. Um, any thoughts on the Packers offense? Not perfect, but uh, still some flashes. We saw some of the young players, Tucker Craft, Jaden Reed, our guy Dontavian Wicks. Um, Jordan Love had some good throws and some not some great throws, but your overall thoughts on the offense from Sunday? I don't know why they were so petrified of using Patrick Taylor. I thought he was going to get used up a little bit more in this game. Um, thought it was interesting that they lived more in the RPL world than we've really seen them. I think yeah. this entire season, I would have to go through and like watch games individually to figure that out. But it felt like they were using RPOs a lot more than in the past, which um, might be a response to how jittery Jordan Love seemed to look against the Giants, who, again, you know, they're one of those teams that both of these teams, right, the Bucks and and Giants kind of live more in that Rex Ryan tree than like the quarters tree or anything like that. Um, thought that was nice. I'm still super optimistic about the offensive skill players moving forward. I, you know, that's, that's the group to build around on this team. If there is any um, offensive line was pretty shaky. Uh, I thought during the game, like there were times where they were in max protection and they were still turning guys loose pretty early on. Um, that's not great. I know they're rotating at left tackle. They seem to be rotating more at right guard. It was like a 50-50 split between John Ryan Jr. and uh, Sean Ryan. Um, so I don't know what happens there moving forward. Is going to be something interesting to watch. You know, John Ryan Jr. obviously is on an expiring contract, and I don't think that he's earned himself an extension. So I think they're just going to try to get a look at Sean Ryan and see, like, can he be the guy in 2024? Is this a road we want to go down or do we want to spend a draft pick there on the offensive line? Um, so those are kind of my main takeaways there other than good Lord, that touchdown from Jordan love. What a beautiful play. That was that's, awesome. that's, that's what's going to keep Matt his gig. That's what's going to keep love around as the only contended starter in green Bay, right? Like th those are the flashes that you need to see. Totally agreed. There's a lot of fun out there still for this offense. I, I thought if they just could have been a little bit better in some of the key situations on offense in this game, specifically in like the final third, the red or the final fourth, the red zone, and um, and just on some third downs, I, I liked a lot of the stuff I saw through the course of this game. Obviously, you have that miss from Jordan early. There were some plays that just got screwed up. There's that play where Reed and Wicks, I think, end up in the same spot on a third down. There's yeah. a, a mesh play where Kraft and Melton, and I want to say Reed, 
they're like, it's all just messy. They're all on different levels and none of them. It was just really ugly too. That was in the fourth quarter on a key third down, just some stuff like that that needs to get cleaned up. That all of that stuff is like, you see all the flashes, you see the potential, you see the exciting stuff. And then it's like, oh yeah, these guys are like literal babies playing in the league still. <laughs> like There's going to be some mistakes in that sort of stuff from time to time. And you can get by because you see the fun stuff. And on the flip side, on the defense that we talked about, it's like you're not seeing any of the the big turnovers and all the I – mean, we had the one from Enigbari in this game, which was great. I thought it was a really nice play by him, but not with any level of consistency. And all of the rest of it is so just dang depressing that it kind of wipes out any of the positives. Yeah. Not a, not, not a great game. I've seen a lot of people, you know, be like – Everything wasn't on the defense. The offense, you know, had its issues. It's like, yes, yes. But the, you know, defense did allow, what was it, like 34 or whatever it was? Like, Baker Mayfield came into your house, had a perfect pass rating. You guys should be embarrassed. Take a lap. Yeah, the, the focus needs to be on the defense. I don't think the special teams had any uh, knock on wood, any major mistakes or anything, did they? <laughs> we, we talked about that, uh, Tex and I. We're like, shout out to the Buccaneers for fair catching every kickoff so that we didn't have an opportunity to get a penalty. I mean, there was that. Um, they were kicking they everything the into the end zone. There was perfect punt penalty. I've ever seen in my entire freaking life, which was amazing. But yeah, the, the what a Bucks, heartbreaker. But yeah. What the hell was that? So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought we were going to get a block kick. Um, Keyshawn flying off of the edge uh, on PAT block and stuff like that. He got close a couple times. Um but yeah, I, I I think it was for lack of opportunities on special teams. I mean, we'll see what it's like moving forward. We shall. Uh, Justice, amazing stuff as always. Like I said, I know we spent a lot of time on defense today, but I think understandably so. Uh, any final thoughts before we head out today? Pay pay attention to what Matt says and the tone that he uses in these press conferences. I know there were probably a lot of you in the press conference uh, chat based off of how active it was with the uh, Fire Joe Barry comments uh, on YouTube. Yep. Um, Pay attention to how he talks about the whole situation because I think, you know, a couple weeks ago he would have gotten these questions and it would have been full-throated support for Joe Barry. And now he's, like, really explaining his process and stuff where he's like, if I thought that it would help the team, I would have done it already. But I don't think that that's going to change our execution problems. Which, again, I think if you're reading that, um, I'd put a lot of blame on the assistant coaches, right? But just monitor how he changes the way that he talks about the situation, and that probably will give you a hint on what is going on. It's going to be an interesting few weeks with an interesting few opponents. I think they pick up the win against Carolina, and then they've got two division opponents to see what they can do the rest of the way. But like I said, I, I've said it already a couple times this week, like th- this team could beat the 85 bears and lose to the own 17 lions and anything in between. And nothing would shock me at this point. So we'll see what they can do against Carolina and kind of take it one week at a time and go from there. Justice, where can we find all of your amazing work? Acmepackingcompany.com. Um, and, you know, subscribe to our podcast feed, wherever you get podcasts. Um, you can find me on Twitter at J U M O S Q. If uh, you want to see some shit posts and some yelling about Joe Barry on Sundays. Don't only just go and follow his podcast, go like it, give the five-star reviews, do everything. Those guys do an absolutely tremendous job. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. 
for Justice and I, we will see you soon. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.